Hi, welcome to Monks and Punks, the podcast hosted by me, Sander Hicks. This is a space for radical spirituality, democratic socialism, creative resistance, outer peace, and the spontaneous magic of human connection. Yes, we are out to change the world. Everything is possible. I've been pretty perplexed lately by the amount of violence in the world. The Israelis respond to a terrorist attack by invading Gaza and killing over 20,000 civilians. Things have gotten so crazy, I was able to even publish an op-ed about nonviolence in the Sunday New York Daily News last month. So, with all the new evidence of genocide, it seems more and more important that we as a global society start to take a new look at nonviolence and how to create dialogue rather than war. And it turns out there's a group in the Middle East that's doing just that. They are called Combatants for Peace. They are Israeli veterans and former Palestinian fighters. They are refuseniks. They have realized that war is a real dead end. They engage in dialogue and meetings instead. They get connected rather than engage in the same old thinking and bloodshed. I was able to reach a Palestinian activist in the West Bank who speaks for Combatants for Peace. Her name is Ma'i Shaheen. This is our interview. She is a dedicated activist, and from her words, you will learn a hell of a lot of new information about what it's like to be a Palestinian today in a world of war and peace. All right, well, welcome to my very first podcast, Mayi Shaheen, member of Combatants for Peace, speaking to us from Jerusalem in Palestine, Israel. And I'm so honored to have you here and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling and receiving us, bringing our voice to the platform. I appreciate it. Well, a lot of people are excited to hear you. I just shared about you at our Quaker meeting on Sunday. I, w- I joined them on Zoom today because we rescheduled for 12 noon today. And why don't we start out by you telling me your story? Where are you from originally and where do you live now? I'm assuming it's East Jerusalem. Yeah, I am originally, I am born to parents from East Jerusalem. Uh, my father comes from a town called Bethany, Isaiah, which is the a biblical uh, place where Lazarus uh, was raised uh, from death. Uh, wow. Bethania. Wow. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which is the second half of Mount of Olives, but separated by the separation wall. Wow. And my mom comes exactly from the other side, <laughs> from <laughs> Ras Al Amud, <laughs> which is 15 minutes walk without the separation wall. And I live there now. Uh, but now I'm talking to you from Hebron, uh, yeah, Hebron City in the West Bank. And were you raised Christian or Muslim or neither or both? Or how were you raised? <laughs> I came from a Muslim uh, family, uh, but a family that carries a history of the three religion. Uh, so I was raised uh, in a very open uh, and receiving to the three religions. Uh, my brothers are married to Jewish now. So my nephews and nieces are half Palestinians, half uh, Jewish, Israeli Jewish. Um, so, yeah, my family, it rises and holds this land as lovingly through daily life and 
Yeah. That seems wow. I'm, my my jaw is on the floor because it's pretty rare that you have Palestinians born Muslim and then marry into Israeli Jewish families. It's pretty rare. Yes, it is pretty rare to the situation. But uh, again, to humanity, it is when you fall in love. You know, political should not separate us. It's a uh, they met and as every other human, you know that happen to have or is identified as a Palestinian or an Israeli. Uh, they actually met in a, a community space that held many Palestinians and Israelis. Uh, it was called Ikumi, and it's still a spread wide community all over uh, the world almost. Uh, so few of the Palestinians actually got married to Israelis through that uh, community which shows that we are, uh, you know, it is really a political, uh, as we continuously say, Palestinians, you know, for us, it's against Zionism. It is never against Judaism. It is, Judaism, you know, we right. transcend we say, from right. that. On the left in the United States, we say the same thing. We're not against Jews. We're not anti-Semitic. We're anti-Zionist. And it's an important distinction. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying it's a, there, there was a widespread community that brought together Palestinians and Israelis. And what was the name of that community space? It was, and it still is, inshallah, called Ikumi. Uh, it, was, uh, it took place in a sea area in the West Bank called uh, around Jericho, the Dead Sea. And it was there for almost uh, nine to ten years, if I am not mistaken. Uh, and through that uh, community, people were living there. My brothers and uh, myself, we were one of the holders for the last few years of that community. Uh, we did a lot of nonviolent uh, communication workshops, a lot of uh, nonviolent uh, resistance, a lot of getting to know each other, to meet around the fire, to sit, to talk, to fight, to cry, to fall in love, to get angry. It was a real, uh, you know, as every other human deserves to have, to meet the other and sit and be seen and heard and allow oneself to see and hear the other side. And this is what this community actually managed to do. It's still, uh, it is not there in the physical space, but it is still, it's still there with all the people in it. It's actually becoming bigger and bigger. Many kids came out of that uh, community. Unfortunately, uh, like one of my brothers had to, we lost him to Germany with his wife and a child because of the political situation. They never wanted to leave, but he couldn't live in Israel. He was not allowed to live in Israel. She's not allowed. She didn't feel safe living in the West Bank as well and the culture. And they wanted to be in Jerusalem and they just couldn't. They fought for seven years. Mm. Through law, through everything. And I come from a mother that holds the Israeli identity and a father that holds the West Bank identity. And That's according your, your to the parent? Israeli law, yeah. Wow. And according to Israeli law, I'm deserving of the blue ID, just like all of my brothers because of my mother. But because of the political situation, we are separated from the rest of our family. Wow. My daughter is the same thing. She's born to a father that carries the Jerusalem ID residency, and I carry the West Bank. So now she needs to commute every day at 4 a.m. because of settlers' attack and a blockage on the roads to reach her school in East Jerusalem because she's not allowed by Israeli law to have education within the West Bank. 
And how did you get involved with Combatants for Peace and what do you do there? Mm-hmm. It started from, uh, as I said, from the Ikumi community. I got to meet, uh, before the Ikumi community, I knew Sulil Khatib, the co-founder of the Combatants, the Palestinian co-founder. Uh, he oh, was right, a friend right. of the family. Yeah, he was a friend of the family. And actually it happened that it was the the first thing I ever got to experience in the field of peace activism mm. was Ikumi, was it translating the stories of Palestinians, ex-fighters and Israeli ex-fighters and civilians who were in, jail, in the Israeli jail and still carried uh, live bullets in their bodies. And the same for Israelis who went through atrocities because of the occupation or political have, having to go through the army or sending their kids to the army. And it's through, yeah, since then, I don't know how to even explain it. It's the realization. I was the first one from my family to reach out to Israelis from the third generation. Uh, it was uh, a bit uh, shaky to stand there and look at Suli and look at the Israelis and realize this is where my heart is sitting with. This is right. what this land is calling for. It's so calling just, for two just, people. Let me explain to, to the listeners that you referred to him as Khatib. Uh, he's also Suli. So Suleiman Khatib is co-founder, I guess, on the Palestinian side of Combatants for Peace. He also wrote an article recently in November, just last November, for New York Review of Books. And that's how I found you. My wife sent me this article and I was just like, wow, Combatants for Peace. Wow. So Suleiman Khatib. So back to your story about Suli Khatib. Yeah, that's how you, so that's I was how you taken, got started. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I got taken. I started as a, uh, for the past uh, 11, 11 years almost, I was a freelance in this peace activism because I really wanted the togetherness. I wanted all the organizations to be one. I wanted women to have voice in the peace organizations, to have leaderships, to be given a voice and power into leading, as uh, I believe that women has a big, big, big role in our uh, political uh, agenda as peace activists. Uh, so, and uh, I worked so much within the field of combatants for peace, and in the last few years, I've been coming more and more with them, dedicating myself, because they carry this vision that I hold where women's voice is heard and leadership is actually there and is being empowered. Um, it is held, uh, from my opinion, a bit differently because we come together, like, for example, on the 7th of October, we came together. It was known, it was clear to us that we will work even harder. It was clear to us that we're going to exhaust ourselves to come together, to do all whatever it takes of daily Zooms, talking, negotiating, discussing, crying, getting angry, frustrating, organizing ourselves. And this is exactly what we did. And still until today, I tell you, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's overwhelming the amount of work we've been putting in order to reach out and in order for people like you to hear us, to bring our voice that speaks for both people, that says it is against Zionism. It is for Jewish right to live free from all kinds of oppression as well. 
It is against occupation and genocide. We name things as they are in the combatants. We acknowledge atrocities. We condemn the 7th of October as much as we condemn what was before and what is happening now to the hostages and to the Palestinians, to the children. And I think this is exactly the voice that the world needs to hear. We need the world to come in unity for both of us, to speak to both against system and oppression system that will actually end up killing both of us if we don't disturb it. It is not about uh, Hamas and Israel as everybody now is saying it is. It is not. There is an oppression and occupation in this land. And acknowledging the narrative of the Jewish, we acknowledge, yeah, we live here together, free, all together, acknowledging that history. Right. This acknowledging, is exactly where it leads. Acknowledging Israel's right to exist? No, acknowledging Jewish right to live free on these lands. Aha. An interesting nuance. It's, uh, we see, I don't think the state of Israel represents even Jewish. Right. Okay. Before the 7th of uh, October, there was so many protests in the streets going on daily basis, weekend basis, that are saying our government is fascist. We right. need to bring down this government. Yeah. And yes, we need to bring down any government that is actually forcing political agendas on people wanting to live free, practicing whatever religion they want to practice on this land. Right. It's like a mother, you know, how could they, I cannot choose between my children. If I right. do, a blood will continue to come. What is public opinion inside Israel about co combatants for peace? Uh, wow, our uh, partners, companions, Israeli companions, they went through a lot, you know, like they are being called a... Uh, many, many things, and pushed not to protest, and they threatened not to protest, and they threatened not to post online, and they threatened not to call uh, for peace, for liberation. They are even threatened to use the word occupation and oppression and genocide from their own people. And But still, you know, it's been happening more and more. I don't know how much you're following the news. Uh, only yesterday, uh, our partners had a big, big protest in Tel Aviv going out, screaming their hearts out, calling for ceasefire, naming things as they are. So, yeah, it is, it's really dangerous. It's still dangerous. They are still going through a lot from their own uh, community or the government. But still, you know, it's uh, we know it's hard. We know it's hard. And we know that at the end of the day, still, this is what people want. We have the same needs. We speak to the needs of both people. Yeah. A home, safety, security, a morning where our kids will wake up happy, dreaming, achieving, living. And I think this is uh, where we will uh, meet. This is what will connect us when we both realize that we have the same needs and the same feelings and our conflict rises on the strategies of how these needs are being met by our governments. So I'll do you a favor. I'll give you a real-time news report. If you were in New York and you were Googling protests in Tel Aviv, that's what I just Googled. And it, it's there, but the sources are Times of Israel, Haaretz, Sky News Australia, Euronews, 
at the Guardian, I'm just scrolling the top like six video sources on Google for Google News. So there's nothing from New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, Fox. <laughs> Shocking. Yes. You know, our media. Yes, so I will send you the pictures and the videos. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Yes. That's interesting. I mean, it's it's out there if you're a subscriber to Times of Israel or Haaretz, but it's I didn't hear about protests in Tel Aviv yesterday. I'm pretty aware of news. I'm you know, I'm very interested in Middle East and peace and you guys, you even, I'm going to go back. You mentioned nonviolent communication. Are you talking about the American Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication? Yes, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is one of the methods that is being uh, and have been used for many, many years uh, in Palestine, Israel. Uh, so, yeah, it is, it's a very powerful, uh, powerful tool. Uh, you know, connecting it to nonviolent resistance. It cannot only be at the table of dialogue. Dialogue is extremely important and it is connecting. It is where we speak of uh, needs and feelings and strategies. But then there comes the times, you know, where we need to be equipped with nonviolent resistance, where we act on not meeting and witnessing the atrocities again, using nonviolent communication. So yeah, it is one one of the tools and the strategies. And for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, it's a really interesting methodology in which you get away from accusations, you get away from you did this to I need this. And then we're all human beings who want to help. We have a natural tendency to want to make peace and want to hold everybody's needs equally, especially if we train ourselves to hold everybody's needs equally. So if you can state your needs, then the methodology or the the solution is supposed to work that you can create a new strategy that holds everybody's needs equally. Is that a good summary? Yeah, it focuses on observation where I observe, I do not Mm -hmm. judge. I observe that the Israelis or the Jewish have been through atrocities of the Holocaust. Mm. I observe that they through it, you know, they came to the land. This is our observation. I do not judge. I do not make a judgment that will make me disconnect. And through it, yes, I will connect to the needs. If you tell me now I need safety, even if now I'm feeling safe, I will still connect to your lack of safety because mm-hmm. it's a human need to be safe. So I will never have a conflict with you in the contrary. My human nature will actually want to meet, to try and meet this need of yours, to try and look for strategies where you're feeling safe, because I understand exactly how it means. And I think, yeah, if we follow this uh, this method, it will give us a lot of uh, space to meet with each other, to sit with each other, to stop dehumanizing mm-hmm. each other, which is what is happening now, dehumanizing the Palestinians. The animals. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's brutal. The language is brutal. But you know what, Ma, Ma'i? I've never heard that much of a link between nonviolent communication and nonviolent resistance. We have like two worlds in the USA. We have some, some progressive New Age style people who talk about nonviolent communication. But the people who are doing nonviolent resistance, getting resistance, like getting arrested for Yemen or getting arrested for any other issue. They don't tend to be in the same world. You know, they don't tend to be speaking the same language. But it sounds like you in Jerusalem and Hebron are connecting nonviolent communication and nonviolent resistance. Do you want to tell me about that? 
It cannot be, as I said, that I will continuously talk to you about your need of safety and not uh, meet it. Right. Like, what does it do to you? You will come first time, second time, third time, fourth time, ten times because you're desperate, and then what? You will lose trust in me. You will be desperate. I will overpower you. So if I don't move it into action, then I'm not really doing anything. We cannot stay on the level of a dialogue. It needs to be taken. And this is also a misunderstanding of peace activists, that peace activists should kiss everybody, that if I meet with military, I should give them roses. No, I shall not, my dear. I shall stand up. I shall walk my talk. I shall say no. I shall not even allow. And yes, we will get arrested. And yes, we might even get shot. But this is my role as a peace activist to lead. I am here to lead, to show. And it's the same example, you know, like we, we speak a lot of uh, Europe and America leading uh, even political decisions on our behalf. Uh, and we hear a lot about about religion and it's, uh, you know, Jewish and Christians, Christians, uh, Zionists who are supporting uh, Israel. But we also see that Jesus as a leader, he dis- disagreed when he saw businessmen opening businesses in the uh, church. He said no, not in the church. In the, I don't the remember what. Yeah, in the, the temple. temple, exactly. And we see that he went in and he got angry and he pushed them out and he said no, no. And this is with activism that we act on it, that we lead differently. Like they say, you condemn in Hamas. I definitely condemn in Hamas. I want to lead differently, but I want to lead. And I will lead, I will lead my people to freedom. I will lead the people of this land to freedom. And there might be, yeah, bullets or violence used against me. So I don't think peace activist, you know, is like staying peaceful, like a a peaceful oppressed, a quiet oppressed. No, it's in the contrary. It's me roaring even louder as a peace activist. It's Mm -hmm. me going to the protests and naming things as they are. It's me saying we are against Zionism. We are against any oppression system. As much as I say, I condemn what happened on the 7th to all of the civilians. This is moving from only a dialogue to real resistance that will actually bring a real change. Because dialogue, you know, this method have been used for so many years. It's beautiful. I have so many friends. As I said, my family is married to the other side. It did bring but it did not move. It did not make any change, not a grounded change. And this is why we're still witnessing what is happening now, because talking is not enough. Got it. I wrote an article about nonviolence in the Middle East and the genocide in Gaza, and I made some crazy suggestions about peace talks. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the things that I researched was about the political director of Hamas, Sinar, And I know he has quite a military background, and he's committed plenty of uh, assassinations, etc. But he also has a bit of a reputation as a diplomat and was trying to use diplomatic channels before October 7th to alleviate suffering in Gaza. Is that uh, consistent with your understanding? You know, it's it's such a big discussion to go into. I distinguish a lot between political groups and civilians. When it comes to political, Sinwar as a political figure 
or even now Hamas and what they are doing, it's a political group. It's a political resistance group. If we were a country, we will have an army. So I could see them as an army, okay? So how do we see the Sinwar and how do we see Hamas? Nobody here really agrees with Hamas. Otherwise, they we would have put them instead of Abu Mazen 30 years ago. Why didn't we elect Hamas if this is who we wanted? We didn't want Hamas. Gaza also didn't want Hamas. We, we could have elected them. No, we didn't. We elected Fatih. We elected Abu Mazen, who believes in non-violent resistance, actually. This is his beliefs. This is what he continuously, even since the seventh, is calling for. It's the only speech, speech we hear him say. So how do we see? We see a difference, you know? The world sees Hamas as a, an Islamic group. They are Muslims, but, you know, they've been under oppression for 18 years. They were the silent oppressed, occupied, a whole generation that now you're witnessing have never seen what it looks like behind the wall. They only hear parties and festivals on the other side. So how do people see? I think here we are very confused because on one hand, we fully understand what is occupation and oppression is, genocide. It's even happening on us in the West Bank, if you read the news of Tulkarim. They're raiding Tulkarim every night, every night. They're bombing Tulkarim, they're raiding Tulkarim, they're killing people, they're killing young people in Tulkarim. So it's not only about Gaza, Sander. Wait, explain to me Tulkarim. Is it an expansion of a settlement? No, Tulkarim is a Palestinian city in the north beside Jenin, in the West Bank. They are raiding it every day. Bombing, you know, killing every day, every day, every day, every Why? day. So it's not about Gaza. It's not about Hamas. Yeah. What we need, we, we need to be free. We need our freedom. We want oppression and occupation to end. Do we agree with Hamas? Obviously, obviously not. Do we want to be free? Obviously, yes. Do we see them as a political uh, group? We see them as a fully political group. We don't say Muslims. Oh, they are Islamic, jihadi. They are politi- political group who chose to to resist. And I would see them the same as I see the Israeli army. I don't distinguish between both of them politically. Mm-hmm. Why should I distinguish between both? Why do people distinguish between both of them? Why does Israel have the right to bring 4,000 French to fight in their army, 2,000 Italian, I don't know how many Russian and Ukrainian to fight in their armies. And I, I can send you the reports. I can send you the flags they are carrying on their military uniform. I've never heard that. That's bizarre. Yeah, 4,000 yeah, French it. It is. troops, actual yeah. boots on 4, the ground. 4,000 4, French, more than 2,000 Italian. I don't know how many of Ukrainian and Russian If you go to TikTok, Sander, and I would encourage you to actually reach out to TikTok. People think that it's a silly platform. It's one of the strongest platforms nowadays to actually watch these militaries opening live videos in TikTok, being asked, where do you come from? And them telling people that they come from France, France, from Italy, from many, many other countries. And it's like, why should I see it differently? Who is, why? Why do you send 4,000 French and then ask me about, I don't know, 5,000 Palestinians in Gaza who are choosing to fight in the way that they are fighting against oppression and occupation? This is not the first war also on yeah. Gaza. Yeah, that is, I will definitely take a note of that and look at TikTok. I wanted to get your perspective on, I'm sure... 
it's a real mystery to me that the USA has these kind of bizarre forms of Christianity that are violent and nationalistic. I just did a post on my Substack about Christian nationalism and the truth about the nonviolent Jesus and trying to defeat Christian nationalism and Christian fascism through talking about the truth of what Jesus did and said, like you said, clearing the temple and being about love and not about superficial religion. But I wanted to get your perspective on how the Palestinians see America and see the USA as a big supporter of Israel. And how do you understand why we don't care about the democratic rights of Palestine enough and we only seem to take Israel's side? What do you think? You know, I think that there are many, what we see happening now, I don't think it was planned last month. If we read history, we see that a lot of what's happening today was already planned many, many, many years ago, even before we started calling it occupation. We also see, we hear it now very clearly on uh, on the news where America said if there was no Israel, we would invent another Israel. It's an alley in the Middle East. I don't think even what's happening now in Gaza, it's only because of the of the 7th of October. I think there is lots of richness in the Sea of Gaza. The NATO is in Gaza. What is the NATO doing in the Sea of Gaza now? Oh, is that an oil company? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If I will send you the commercials, Israelis are putting out, selling already shares of hotels that they're going to build on the Sea of Gaza. <laughs> That's terrible. That's, it's sad. Yeah. It's so sad. Yeah, so laugh. I think America is doing in Palestine exactly what they did in Iraq and Syria. Why should it be considered any difference? Mm. They need what this land has and they will do everything to get what this land has. And they will do everything to get power on this land. I think this land carries so much richness, not only on the ground of it. Mm. It's one of the most seen lands in Earth. <laughs> right. So yeah, it is power within the Middle East. They have a saying within the Middle East. Was the 7th of October a complete surprise to Netanyahu? To Netanyahu? Well, uh, it shouldn't be. I don't believe it shouldn't be. I cannot, if I now hold you in one room for 17 years and I come back to you, Yeah. what do you think he will do to me? Love right. me and hug me? Right. No? Right. But the intelligence failure, some people say there might have been a deliberate intelligence failure so that, the, so that Israel could invade Gaza. I think uh, whatever we can read, we can even look at it and say absolutely it could be true. Could be true. I know. Right. Yes. Yeah. Now, yes. Some people say once there's an investigation into this question of how the how the Israeli intelligence failure happened, it could be the end of Netanyahu's political career. Do you think? I think his end is coming uh, very soon. You know, for me, it's like, like it's really that is dazzling standard because the, the state of like Israel continuously talk about what happened on the 7th of October. And like up until now, for us, for example, Palestinians, if I take myself out of the field of peace activism because this field allows me to see a lot that other people are not seeing. So I kind of come from a different uh, even understanding. But for my people, for example, they would ask, where are the funerals of all the peoples that you said were killed on the 7th? Where are the funerals of all the children that were killed on the 7th? Where now we see investigations 
showing actually that the, a lot of what happened on the 7th was caused by the Israeli military. I did see Whether that. it was by fear, whether it was by their lack of understanding, but actually most of the atro atrocities happened there. We also see a lot of, uh, for example, like the rape. I actually believe there was rape victims. But I also, and I actually, like, I know very well <laughs> that there was some, for example. But I know of a number that is much less than what is being said. And it's like, so where are the other people you are talking about? Why is there no investigations? Why are those people not allowed to come up and actually talk? Why are all the men talking to the UN women in behalf of the women in Israel? Mm. What it, like, it is, it does, it does make you think a lot that even the state of Israel does not care about their own people. So what's next for Combatants for Peace? What are the actions that you're planning or that you want to plan in the next couple of months? Yeah, so now, you know, we are a bit uh, overwhelmed by the continuous ongoing genocide uh, in Gaza and what is happening also in the West Bank. A lot of the roads are blocked or the checkpoints. We have to spend hours and hours all the time. So many times, for example, just to have one meeting in uh, Bejala, I have to take transportations that are like nine hours. And how long uh, is that? Like in normal days, it's 45 minutes. Nowadays, it could take nine hours where I'm just at a checkpoint, standing there in a car, not allowed to even open the door and say, I am thirsty. And also because of the settlers' attack, we are still uh, careful of being out in the streets uh, within the sea area spaces because many Palestinians are being shot by uh, settlers. Many places are being also displaced. We are receiving flyers in the West Bank all the time about the uh, Settlers telling us to be careful that we will be killed and raped with the sunrise, that we will be surprised, that we should be displaced already to Jordan, that we should already move before they kidnap our children, that they will surprise us. Yeah, exactly. Wow, so maybe, because of this, we are me, still not... Do you have one of those flyers? Can you send me a yes. copy? I would love yes. to see that. I guess yes. it's, it's in Arabic and Hebrew? It's in Arabic. Just in Arabic. Is it yes. bad Arabic or good Arabic? <laughs> it depends on the flyer. <laughs> they have already uh, already happened, I think, uh, three, four times where they wrote different uh, flyers and separate right. them around. And you're in the, in the West the Bank. Bank. So when you say when you say the sea, you mean the Dead Sea? No, Area C is area that is under Israeli military control. In oh, these areas, Israelis and Palestinians can meet to protest, which we where normally we actually meet and we do our protests with the Palestinians from the West Bank. And due to the situation and to the danger, uh, now we're still not out in the streets uh, within the sea area uh, spaces. Uh, most of our uh, activists, they go to protest in Tel Aviv. We have a lot of uh, international uh, Zooms where we are organizing uh, a lot of workshops, a lot of, uh, we have uh, lots of projects within the combatants. One of them is called the Freedom School, uh, which is for uh, young Palestinians who are joining the field of peace activism. And we have the same thing from the Israeli side. So it's being very much focused on a lot of our activists are now supporting a Bedouin's community, protecting them from settlers, standing between them and the settlers, especially in Jordan Valley, in, in Hebron, some areas in Hebron. Some of our activists 
are in Tulkarem. Uh, also now we have a lot of, uh, we have two of our uh, main members that they have, all of their families are within, in Gaza. Uh, Ahmed Al-Hilu, for example, lost uh, more than, uh, I think, 50 of his family. He lives in uh, Jericho. He's one of our uh, big peace activists. So we're building a lot of support groups. Uh, soon we will have the first uh, joint uh, grief circle for women uh, from both sides to come together, women who are also leading, who have been uh, holding uh, the space since the 7th to come together to grieve and also do move from nonviolent dialogue to nonviolent resistance, organized uh, resistance, uh, as well as uh, preparing for all of the projects to come, hopefully the moment uh, the war uh, stops. So mainly we are very focused on preparing and keeping the community safe and protected. Our activists are spread in different places within the West Bank, uh, supporting different communities and some in Tel Aviv. We're doing a lot of international uh, Zooms uh, as well, speaking of what is happening, inviting people to friend the combatants, to join our community, our organization and resistance, uh, building materials uh, that will be used uh, after the war because we also see a lot of what was used before the 7th is no more uh, equivalent to what is actually happening. So a lot of meeting of preparing, even a lot of meeting on NPC level on how to prepare, how to bring the tool of NPC now, talking about such atrocities and genocide and naming things as they are. Right. So there is a lot listening of at home, NBC is the nonviolent communication we were talking about before. Just want to make sure people Google it, <laughs> learn more about yes. it. It could help you. <laughs> Yes, we have actually a big group uh, on media, on Facebook, uh, where they actually lead international nonviolent communication uh, groups on Zooms. People meet and talk and, uh, you know, get to connect and be together, even if they are out of uh, the country, you know, allowing whoever feels connected to come. Yeah. Human connection is God to me. You know, that God exists in the in that electrical connection. When it happens across racial or religious lines, it's powerful. And uh, when it happens, period, it's powerful. So what about, besides the New York Review of Books, has there been any more U.S. media attention to combatants for peace? We've gained a lot of, uh, a lot of attention. And I think since October 15th, People started hearing about us, uh, so yeah, we've been uh, we've been called so, to so many uh, different uh, interviews and media channels, uh, mm-hmm. CNN, uh, even Jazeera reached out. We just didn't Al-Jazeera. do it. Jazeera, oh good. Yes, Al Jazeera. Uh, we did with the CNN. Uh, we did with many. Uh, I I honestly don't know everything because you know Suli did some. Each of us same. Um, each of us did some. But yes, we did get quiet a lot but uh, you know like i still believe that this voice needs to be the main voice on the media because we need to build the trust between both people that this land you know like our work and what we're doing is not one against the other it's in the contrary it's for all of us to reach this uh, this freedom and so yeah and on the israeli side we talked a lot about suli today but on the israeli side is Avner Wishnitzer, is he still active? Yes, Avner and Chen. 
Uh, you can actually go to our uh, Facebook pages, Combatants for Peace. They wrote so many articles. We even posted all of the Zooms on our uh, pages for people to watch and to hear what Khin and Avner and many other people had to say. Definitely, Khin and Avner and uh, many of our uh, companions, we were together since the 7th, as I said. We fully function in one group in togetherness, in one leadership. So, yeah, they are extremely active. I would encourage people to actually search their names, go to the pages, watch the Zooms. They are extremely deep and very, very connecting and at the same time, very informative. It's a powerful image to see Avner in uh, zip ties, the handcuffs and blindfolded doing actions in South Hebron Hills, West Bank in October 21. That's the lead image in the New York Review of Books article. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people in the United States don't know that there's any refuseniks, any conscientious objectors who say no to, you know, we know all about Israel's compulsory military service, but we don't know enough about people who say no to military work. And so that's why this message needs to be broadcast. And so what's the best way for our listeners to support you and connect with you? Uh, to connect with us, I think, uh, again, like uh, media, our uh, our emails is also put out there for anybody who is wishing to reach out. We need so much support, Sander, like uh, whatever support that is that comes out of fame, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, people that are joining uh, combatants, friends for peace from America, different groups in Europe who are gathering, working on nonviolent communication and resistance now, supporting us from afar, like Lindsay and so many, so many other people who are supporting. Uh, financially as well, there is a big need. A lot of the support was, uh, you know, as you hear, was withdraw, withdraw back from organizations that are working in this same uh, in this field um, so yeah there is so much need i think people can uh, you know reach out or check the website as well of the combatants for peace uh, we have many projects that are up there whoever wish to also volunteer to come to be here in the field uh, yeah we have a lot where people can bring themselves and support Great. Yeah. So that website is cfpeace, dot org. That's your main website. And there's also the American, there's also American Friends of uh, Combatants for Peace. And that's also on Facebook. We post on weekly basis almost so people can get all the updates of what is going on, what is happening. Yeah. Great. Well, is there anything else that we need to cover that we didn't cover today? Uh Let's see. I don't know. Hopefully we have covered what, uh, you know, our voice that we are against Zionism and togetherness, liberation for everybody in here, only against oppression and occupation and the genocide that is going. We are humans that are only calling and wishing to live like everybody else. I deserve my freedom of my movement. I deserve not to have military solution over my head every day. I deserve to watch my daughter Lily, beautiful, beautiful Lily, growing up safely and to see my nephews and nieces and to set them as an example and to allow people to come together. You know, in the combatants, we try really, really hard to speak the truth as it is and to call on people to join 
to come to listen, to acknowledge as well both people, not only one side, both people, the Palestinians and the Jewish. And I think this is uh, this is the main uh, the main message. And I'm, again, we are very grateful for people such yourself, Sander, that actually notices and sees and hears and calls and it tries to say, we hear a different voice coming and hopefully our voice will be the loudest and hopefully our voice and our action, our resistance will bring the change and will meet the need of home safety for both people. We fully as Palestinians acknowledge the needs of Jewish people. If you watch our history, we were standing there waiting for the ships of them coming from Germany. We never wanted Palestine only to ourselves. We always understood and believed, even as Muslims, that this land is Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. We are descendants of the three. And it's only, you know, people need to acknowledge and to differentiate between the political oppression and the system that is actually not only being put only on Palestinians. No. Not only, it's also on the Americans, it's also on the Europeans, it's what's Mm. happening in Sudan now, what's happening in Congo now. Who is behind it? It's the same government, the same system. So it's not Israel-Palestine only. Got it. Well, I'm very grateful for the work you're doing. And I want to say, you know, since you mentioned the revolutionary Jesus clearing the temple out of his love for truth and love for God, I just want to say, that like what he said was blessed are the peacemakers. And I think Jesus knew how hard it is and how risky and how painful it can be to be a peacemaker in a world of war and empire. So bless you blessings upon you. And thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with me and, and we will speak again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sander and to everybody. Very grateful. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monks and Punks. To stay in touch with us, read my Substack under my name, Sander Hicks. There are new materials there on nonviolence and the radical historical Jesus. Here at Monks and Punks, our theme music is by White Collar Crime. You can check out that old band over at Bandcamp. Look under White Collar Crime Punk NYC dot Bandcamp, etc. We are sponsored by Zen Spacemakers. That's an innovative general contractor for loft beds and home renovations. Check out loftbedsnyc.com to see how they can help working people get more space in the city of New York and beyond. Monks and punks, unite. Everything is possible. Everything is possible.